Hello, constant listener. I was thinking of childhood memories, and this one came to me as I was about to go to sleep last night. It's a game I haven't played for over 20 years. Yet, in some ways, I've been playing it at least once every day without realizing it. Each time I turn out the lights before I go to bed, I make sure to keep my eyes facing straight forward. I've grown used to walking by mirrors and purposefully turning my head away while in the dark. I also lower my gaze to my feet over the carpeting. When I finally crawl beneath my covers, I listen to the constant and even breathing from my husband near me. I'm comforted and eventually I go to sleep. This particular ritual of turning off the lights each night is now routine. I never look at a reflective surface when the lights are out. I've heard a funny thing about phobias, and I think you'll find it interesting too. Phobias are the instinctive echo of an event that horribly killed us in a previous life. With that in mind, how common are people's fear of spiders? Could you imagine what sort of apocalyptic, arachnophobic insanity had to occur if so many people in the world cannot stand spiders? What about my fear of deep water? That one I think is pretty understandable. But reflections in the dark. That can't hurt you. The face I'll see looking back at me is one that I control. I don't know about you, but I can't look at a dark reflection of me in the eye. I'm not alone in that phobia. The fear of looking into a bathroom mirror with the lights out is way too common. The face that's mine, and yet isn't mine. Black, sunken eyes. Pale skin. A common description around the world for over decades and decades and decades in records. Some scholars believe it's an unconscious fear of our own death. Those features are common for corpses after all. But what if it's more? If we circle back to the idea that phobias are carried over from a death in a previous life, this image of the reflective monster before us has been described by some as, quote, the ancient villain, unquote. Pale-faced, empty socket eyes, twitching lips, and a veil so thin it could reach beyond that glass and touch you. How could this be such a common fear universally around the world? A shared phobia of something common. Who was this old monster? And why does almost every human being fear their own reflection in the dark? Have you ever heard of the word scrying? It's a common practice of mediums. You know, people who work with crystal balls, reading tea leaves, or reading the lines of the palms of your hands. Those are methods of scrying. Scrying is used by witches as well, though seeking a darker magic. Their version of scrying can sometimes involve a polished black surface of obsidian, no less by candlelight to summon demons. Scrying can even involve mirrors. Have children passed down what we thought was a game of Bloody Mary? A stupid tradition? What if we've done something more? We've invited something into the world that follows us and gave us more than we ever bargained for. A children's game derived from something real. I'm Tasha Wheelhouse, and this is Copper Shock. In the pines of Flagstaff, Arizona, I sat on a bedroom floor with two other nine-year-old friends. The night was young, and we were having one of my first sleepovers with my good friend, Carrie. We were talking about school crushes, creepy bus drivers, 
and the gray house at the edge of the playing field behind the school. But that's when Carrie got an idea. She wanted to play truth or dare. For those of you who listened to Copper Shock, you already know I don't like that game and why. When I absolutely refused, Beth suggested Bloody Mary instead. I gave Beth a confused look. You'll have to understand, before this point in my life, I'd never heard of it. It was 1996, Google didn't exist yet, and there was no reason to use AskJeeves.com. It wasn't a great site. So it was common to hear about such folklore games by word of mouth, and your friends daring you to do it before you understood too late that you should have stopped. So, being naive, I asked Beth, How do you play Bloody Mary? Soon as the words came out of my mouth, Carrie and Beth both touched their noses with a finger. Carrie then jumped up and flicked off her bedroom lights, casting us all into a blackness. I sat there, still feeling the pillow I sat on as I gripped its sides. Carrie lived in a well-to-do home. Anyone who has slept in a cabin or in a house surrounded by thick, tall pine trees can vouch that those trees blot out any moon or starlight that could come through the windows. Even streetlights were rare, so when Carrie turned out the lights in her bedroom, it was like all illumination was vacuumed out and blackness coated everything that once had color. The pink pillow I sat on, for example, turned into a purpled shadow, and even my friends' faces were covered in a shrouded silhouette. It may sound strange, but the most detailed thing I could see about either of my friends was flyaway wisps of hair about their head. It seemed to be their only defining feature. Their faces were so dark. Okay, Tasha, you asked how do you play, and that means you have to follow through, or she will come and get you in your sleep. I started to feel a deep sensation bloom in my stomach. I remember thinking to myself, what have I summoned? If you don't win the game, Bloody Mary will claw your eyes out when you wake up. It's the last thing you see. I don't want to play anymore. My stomach continued to give a small lurch. You can't stop now. You asked the question, we touched our noses, so now Bloody Mary knows that you are it. And she's coming. I almost wanted to start crying, but just felt my palms start to sweat into the pillow under me. I was gripping it pretty tightly now. How do I get her to go away? You need to go into the bathroom with the lights off and stare at yourself in the mirror for one whole minute. If you can't do that, you close your eyes and keep them shut and say the chant. Why would I do that? If you don't say the chant, she won't leave you alone. There was a silence in the room, and I made no motion to move or get up. A poke came from my right, from shadowed Beth. You'd better hurry. There were two doors to Carrie's bedroom. One to the hall outside, and one to the Jack and Jill bathroom she shared with her older sister, who had her own personal room on the other side. The bathroom had a double-sink vanity mirror that was the size of the wall over the sinks. In darkness beside me, I could hear Carrie and Beth giggling. I don't know the chant, I told them. You say Bloody Mary. You say her name three times, slowly. How do I know when I can open my eyes? When you're done saying the chant, you can, but don't look back into the mirror. 
if you do, Bloody Mary will dig her long nails into your eyes, spilling blood everywhere. Instead, look down at your feet when you open your eyes and you can leave the room safely. Just don't look back into the mirror after you've closed your eyes. There was definitely a note of deliciousness in Carrie's voice as she said the blood-spilling part. Kids relish in scaring each other, and this was no exception. I was very much beginning to get a bad feeling, but more of one with doom. I was in it, and if I didn't go through with it... I slowly stood up, feeling my t-shirt slightly stick to my back from the cold sweat that had broken out onto it. I wandered over to the bathroom door and opened it, taking care to look at my feet very cautiously. The moment had to be right to start the minute. You have to shut the door, I heard Carrie call from the black room I was just in. Solemnly, I shut it and I felt the silence wrap itself around me. I was utterly alone. This felt wrong. This felt like suicide, and all because I didn't know the one rule about Bloody Mary was to never ask how it's played or it starts the game. I took a large breath and lifted my head to face the wide mirror before me. One one thousand? Two one thousand? I breathed heavier. Four one thousand. Five. I stopped counting. Amazed, I saw the shapes of my face slightly shift and contort. Where my large young brown eyes had once been, they are now deep, gaping holes in my face. The black shadows in my features expanded and deepened through my pupils. The frizzy braid I wore as a child started to look like dozens of spider legs stretching out from my head, twitching and moving. But what sent a rush through me was watching my own nose, jaw, and forehead line. They stretched and morphed so that the person in the mirror wasn't even me anymore. I was staring at a demonic version of me. It mimicked every motion I made with no delay. But this wasn't Bloody Mary. I was sure of it. This thing was something entirely different. On the other side of that looking glass, it wanted me. I felt that it wanted to grab me and pull me into the dark world it lived in. I shut my eyes immediately to stop my ever-changing face. And then my heart sunk. I had shut my eyes. I invited Bloody Mary in, and now she wasn't going to wait for me to fall asleep anymore. I felt my breath catch in my chest. A tight, invisible rope fastened itself about my lungs. Listening to nothing but the dark, it's in moments of absolute silence that can terrify a person. Looking back at it, I'm not sure I would have had the bravery to listen to the darkness like I did when I was nine. Today we have tablets, phones, and constant television radio accessibility. But silence in 1996, silence, carries a palpable weight, one that constant noise seems to lift. My nine-year-old self stood at the precipice of silence, in Carrie's bathroom. Its pressure lifted around my legs and over my stomach, snaking its way up through my chest, making it hard to breathe. 
Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. I waited. Then, with as much bravery as I could carry, I opened my eyes looking down to my feet and turned to the door adjacent to Carrie's bedroom. I stopped and felt myself become curious. Of all the wonderment and fear, I'd felt a small victory. I was elated. I'd survived. Yet, even in my brush with death, a pulling curiosity began to scratch at my brain. Now was my chance to see her, the real Bloody Mary. I can't explain how all that adrenaline clouded my judgment as I stood there looking to the brass bathroom doorknob and not reaching for it. But then it occurred to me. The doorknob. It has a reflection of its own, a warped image stretched and rounded about its face. It was a reflection no less, and did I break the rule? My heart started to pound as I compulsively covered the doorknob with both my hands to block out any reflection. I started to breathe harder. Then with a force, turned the spring in the door handle and felt the door give away from me. It was open. At last, it was open, and Carrie and Beth sat on the floor before me, looking at me eagerly. I took a few breaths, and without looking back, shut the bathroom door behind me. So, did you actually do it? Carrie said with a note of doubt in her tone. Yes. I didn't look at my face in the mirror for a full minute. I had to do the chant. You realize that Bloody Mary was standing right behind you the whole time when you shut your eyes, right? Beth laid back on her side on the floor facing me. I actually had not realized that. I thought, in the way the rules were explained to me, she'd only materialize if I looked into the mirror. It didn't occur to me that she was there with me at all. I felt a heaviness pull at my stomach, thinking about the doorknob, and wondering if I saw anyone in that curved reflection. I tried to play it off cool, then tried to tell them it was their turn to do the game. They were total jerks. They said the only way they had to play it is if you ask how the game was played, and since all of us know the rules and never to ask, they didn't have to play it like I did. I was so mad at them for that. We settled down for bed, and I curled up into my sleeping bag on the floor. I awoke, with my eyes still shut and attempting to nudge myself back into a sleep. It only took a few moments for my groggy brain to have a flood of tonight's events come to the forefront of my thoughts. Even with my eyes shut, I could tell it was still the middle of the night. I felt dread wash over me. Did I not do it right? Is there a woman with a bloodied and mangled face standing over me right now, perched to strike? I felt my breath well up inside me. I was going to start crying, I could feel it. 
I heard that sound again. I couldn't put my finger on it. It didn't sound right. In fact, it was completely implausible. This wasn't a dripping sink, it was something closer to an echoing drip of water. But Carrie's room certainly did not have such acoustics. This time, the sound confused and distracted me too much that I opened my eyes, forgetting about the dread of Bloody Mary. The room was empty, save for me and my two sleeping friends. I actually felt relief knowing no one was there. But that sound... In itself, it was starting to dredge up a feeling about my surroundings that made me unsure. It wasn't a threatening noise, but it was setting the sureness of my world off-kilter, and I couldn't begin to explain where it was coming from. I quietly stood up from my sleeping bag and listened for the sound again. I thought I heard it from the direction of Carrie's uncovered window. There was a horse trail out behind her home that people like to take often. I remember watching people ride down that path during the daylight, admiring all the different colors and patterns of the horses. Staring down into it now, a cold feeling sent a wave through me. She stood there, looking up to the window. I couldn't see her face, but I know she was looking. I backed away and rushed downstairs to the master bedroom where Carrie's parents slept. I remember standing outside their door for five undecided minutes. It was unclear whether waking them up in the middle of the night would get me in trouble. I eventually arrived at the argument that if I didn't wake them up, I'd be as good as dead, and being scorned by parents who weren't my own was of far less consequence. Being nine, I was basically old enough not to bother with I'm scared, come check for the monster things. So all I told them was I heard strange noises. And that's as far as I'd let myself tell him. Mr. Hales begrudgingly got out of bed and followed me upstairs to Carrie's bedroom. Beth and Carrie were still sleeping, but he and I stood there listening. I whispered, I thought I heard it over by her window. With a light foot, Mr. Hales stepped over and looked out. I saw his face look left, then right, and forward to the distance. Zero reaction had come from him. I felt relief when I heard the watering cave-like blip noise. He must have heard it too. He walked over to Carrie and leaned down over her face. It's just Carrie breathing, Tasha. I went over to Carrie to listen to her breath, and I did not hear it. I was quite confused about how Mr. Hales could mistake that watery drip for pushing air in and out of her lungs. I politely said thank you, and he left again as I got back into my sleeping bag. I stayed awake, trying to wait for that sound again, but it never came. Light broke over the tops of the trees, and I knew the night was over. To this day as an adult, I didn't understand how her father found that strange noise to be his daughter's breath. That was the last time I slept over at Carrie's home.
We're excited here at Copper Shock to be back. Next week's episode is about a haunted movie theater in Provo, Utah during the 1970s. Do you know the urban legend of the Paramount Theater on Center Street? It was lovingly nicknamed The Old Lady, and she has a secret to tell. Don't be shy. Send me a message over Facebook to the Copper Shock page to say hello. I love it when the community we have reaches out. I may just ask you to tell me about a time that truly scared you. It might even turn into an episode. Have a great day, and I'll see you soon.